0: Hebrews chapter 7, we'll be reading from verse 11 through 19 this morning. Hebrews 7, beginning in verse 11. Here reads God's holy word. Now if perfection had been attainable through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need would there have been for another priest to arise after the order of Melchizedek? rather than one named after the order of Aaron. For when there is a change in the priesthood, there is necessarily a change in the law as well. For the one of whom these things are spoken belong to another tribe, from which no one has ever served at the altar. For it is evident that our Lord was descended from Judah. And in connection with that tribe, Moses said nothing about priests. This becomes even more evident when another priest arises in the likeness of Melchizedek, who has become a priest, not on the basis of a legal requirement concerning bodily descent, but by the power of an indestructible life. For it is witnessed of him, you are a priest forever, after the order of Melchizedek. For on the one hand, a former commandment is set aside because of its weakness and uselessness, For the law made nothing perfect, but on the other hand, a better hope is introduced, through which we draw near to God. Here ends the reading of God's holy, inspired, infallible, inerrant, and immutable word. Let's pray together. Father, we are so humbled that you grant us opportunity to learn about you. What grace and kindness that you would give us to reveal yourself to sinners like us. Thank you, O God, for giving us with your holy word. We ask that your spirit helps us now as we seek to know you more. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Please be seated, church. You know, it was from... The giving of the first promise in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, the coming of Christ into this world, that it was the greatest thing that anyone could long for. You know, Jesus speaking to the Jews in John 8 said, Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day, the coming of the Messiah. And now in context, this letter to the Hebrews. They have Christ before them, and they have Judaism behind them. But as you know, they are being tempted to return to Judaism. And the author of Hebrews sets out to show how Judaism is defunct, and how Christ is the fulfillment of everything that it pointed to. He's saying there is nothing nothing to turn back to, that it is empty. It served its purpose in pointing to Christ, but Christ has now come. And to encourage the believers to to stay the course and to strengthen their faith in Christ, the author of Hebrews sets out to rightly relate the old covenant with the new. And to do so, the author begins this letter by pointing to the supremacy of Christ, as we have looked through throughout this entire time in the book of Hebrews. We know that in the opening two chapters, he spent time showing that Christ was superior to angels through whom the Old Covenant was given. In chapter 3, he showed that Christ is superior to Moses. And on to chapter 4, he showed that Christ is superior to Joshua. And in this text that is before us this morning, he gets to his main point. That Christ's priesthood is superior to the priesthood of Aaron and the Levites. Chapter 7 in its entirety is concerned with the Son as priest as high priest, like Melchizedek, who is superior to the Levitical priests. You know, leading up to this point, the author has shown in the first 10 verses that we looked at last week in chapter 7, the superiority of Melchizedek to Abraham and to Levi. The writer recalled Abraham's interaction with Melchizedek from Genesis chapter 14. It's in that chapter that we read that Melchizedek, who is a king and a priest, that he blesses Abraham and he receives tithes from Abraham. The author of Hebrews will continue to point to Melchizedek to prove his point that Christ's priesthood is superior to the Levitical priesthood. Now, if you're not familiar with the priesthood of the Old Covenant... It consisted of a sacrificial system with limited access to God. There was literally a curtain, a veil that divided the Holy of Holies, which was the earthly dwelling place of the presence of God. It divided that place from the rest of the temple. And only the high priest was granted access once a year, and he had to first, out offer sacrifices for his own sins, no one else could come into the presence of God. Why? Because of the problem that the radical holiness of God and the radical sinfulness of man. The priesthood under the old covenant offered sacrifices that could only cover sin. They could never remove sin. Later on in Hebrews in chapter 10, the author will go further into detail here. But in Hebrews chapter 10 in verse four, we read, "For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins." And later on in that chapter chapter 10, verse 11, we read, "And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never Take away sins. Recall with me, however, what took place when Christ offered himself on the cross as a sacrifice for sin. We read in the Gospel of Matthew in chapter 27, verses 50 and 51, Christ hanging on that cross, giving himself as a sacrifice. We read in verse 50, and Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth shook and the rocks were split. It was at this point a new covenant was instituted and it included a better priesthood In Christ that gave access to God for every true believer. It is this priesthood that the author of Hebrews puts on display. The author points out in our text that since Christ is a new kind of priest, he represents a new law or covenant administration. When Christ came, he brought a new covenant, a new administration by which we relate to God. The Bible says the old has passed away, behold the new has come at 2 Corinthians 5:17. This is why the author here is stressing the superiority of Christ's priesthood. He is the fulfillment of the old covenant. The new covenant in Christ has replaced the old covenant, which means this, that the old priesthood is now useless. And so in the opening 10 verses of chapter 7, the author of Hebrews focused on Genesis, 6, Genesis 14, that interaction. But now in our text before us, he focuses on Psalm 110 verse 4. This morning, we'll take this text, verses 11 through 19, and we'll divide it up in two sections as the author has outlined. In verses 11 through 14, we'll see the imperfect, or we'll see the insufficiency of the Levitical priesthood. And in verses 15 through 19, we will see the, the perfect, the sufficiency of Christ as the new priest. And so looking at your Bibles, we'll begin in verse 11 once again. Looking at the imperfect, we read in verse 11. Now, if perfection had been attainable through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need would there have been for another priest to arise after the order of Melchizedek, rather than one named after the order of Aaron? Now, I'm going to pause real quick before I get into that verse, and I want to put out a general warning to you. If you're here this morning, you're like, man, this is really deep. Like all this stuff about the priesthood and, and the Levitical system and everything else, it's, it's really deep. Even the author of Hebrews knew that. And he had paused as he started beginning to talk about Melchizedek in chapter 5 as we spoke of last week. And he paused. And he said, I understand these things are deep. And he went and encouraged everybody in their faith to grow To continue to grow in the faith. And he says now it is important for us to understand what he is declaring here. That there is a better priesthood in Christ. And that priesthood, by the way, applies to every one of us who have repented and believe the gospel so in verse 11, the author begins with a logical argument about the insufficiency of the Levitical priesthood. He points to the fact that if the Levitical priesthood was sufficient, then God would not have had David speak of another priest who would come after the order of Melchizedek. If the Aaronic priesthood was sufficient, God would have David speak about another priest who would be after the order of Aaron, but instead he appointed to another who would be after the order of Melchizedek. We see here in verse 11, the author uses this word perfection. This word perfection and, and perfect are key words in this letter. In general, perfection typically describes completeness. But in Hebrews, this word perfection is often tied to the priesthood. And the usage here in verse 11 means to to put someone in the position in which he can come or stand before God. It's access to God. One scholar defined this word perfection as, quote, Unimpeded access to God and unbroken communion with Him. End quote. It's in that sense that the author of Hebrews is using this word perfection. That this is something that could not be attained through the Levitical priesthood that was associated with the law. And he argues further here that there would be no reason for another priest to arise after the order of Melchizedek. If the Levitical priesthood was sufficient, he says, another priest. The Evatic here is on the word another. In Greek, there are two different words for another. One of them, word another, means of the same species. This is not the word that is used here. It is the other Greek word for another. And it means of another of a totally different order which makes sense in context. There would be another priest after the order of Melchizedek. This speaks of one who is a stranger to the house of Aaron. And by the way, for us, it's hard to fully understand what is going on transpiring here. But to the Jewish mind, what is being written here would be so hard to receive. It would be unthinkable, unimaginable, that a priest would come From another order. And so the author is pointing them to what David said, what the Spirit inspired David to write about. That David said there would be another who would come. But in their minds, this would be difficult. We read in Numbers 16, verse 40 to be a reminder to the people of Israel so that no outsider who's not of the descendants of Aaron should draw near to burn incense before the Lord lest he become like Korah in his company as the Lord said to him through Moses. Meaning it was restricted. Not just anybody could serve as priest. And the author here is pointing that under the Levitical priesthood, that it was there that the people received the law. And therefore we have the Levitical priesthood and we have the Old Testament law are inseparably linked. But we know, because we're on this side of Christ's coming, we know that the law was but a shadow. That's what the Word tells us. It was a shadow. The Levitical priesthood served as a shadow. But it was imperfect. It was insufficient. It was lacking. It could never bring people into the presence of God. It could never offer a sacrifice that would completely cleanse them from all guilt and stain of sin. In Hebrews chapter 10, referring to that chapter again, in the opening verse, we read, for since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities, it can never by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year make perfect those who draw near. This is exactly why King David by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, announces hundreds of years after the Levitical priesthood was instituted that God had appointed a new priesthood and that this priesthood was not after the order of Aaron, but it was after the order of Melchizedek. We read this in Psalm 110, verse 4. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. It is this imperfect priesthood of man that would be replaced by the perfect priesthood of the God-man, Jesus. But since the law... And the priesthood are inseparably linked. When there is a change in priesthood, he argues, there must also be a change in the law, which brings us to verse 12. In verse 12, he says, For when there is a change in the priesthood, there is necessarily a change in the law as well. You know, if the Levitical priesthood had been adequate, the Messiah would have functioned as a Levitical priest. There would have been no need to introduce something new if the old met all the requirements of God. But David made it clear that it was never the intention of God for the Levitical priesthood that it would remain forever. And I must say, beloved, oh, how grateful we are for this change. What did the law demand? absolute, perfect righteousness. That's from every one of us. But we all know how much we are law breakers. We are incapable of producing perfect righteousness. And so the law was given, and it was that law that crushes us. It exposes us. It makes us accountable to God for our sin. In Romans chapter 3, in verses 19 and 20, we read, Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped, and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of Sin. So if you are here this morning and you are trying to allow your good works to outweigh your bad works, that is impossible. We are all lawbreakers. None of us are righteous. We cannot attain access and fellowship with God through our works of the law. But we are utterly condemned by the law. But thanks be to God. But thanks be to God for sending his son, a better priest. In Romans chapter eight, the chapter begins this way. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the spirit of came as a better priest, giving himself as the perfect sacrifice so that now there is no more condemnation, that all that the law exposes in us that we are sinners which by the way as I look out you too are sinners (laughs) if you're here this morning and you think I am not that bad it is because you are comparing yourself to the wrong people But the comparison is not to any other person. The comparison is to a holy God. That in view of a holy God, we are wretched. But thanks be to Jesus. John Calvin said this, he said, quote, In the maxims of the law, God is seen as the rewarder of perfect righteousness and the avenger of sin. But in Christ, his face shines out full of grace and gentleness to poor, unworthy sinners. End quote. Can you confess that you are a poor, unworthy sinner? Can you cry out to God and say, Have mercy on me, a sinner? You know, it is interesting as the law came to uphold this perfect standard of, of righteousness. That it was through our Melchizedekian priest Jesus who lived out all the requirements of the law on our behalf. Again, in the Gospel of Matthew in chapter 5, verse 17, Jesus said, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to Fulfill them. See, it's Christ's priesthood that has done what the Levitical priesthood could never do, nor was it ever intended to do. We read in Romans chapter 10, verse 4, For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness for everyone who believes. It is an amazing truth. That for those who believe, they are clothed with the righteousness of Christ. That the standard that is needed to have access to God, which is perfect righteousness, is given freely to them through Christ Jesus. The writer of Hebrews goes on later and explains this in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 14. He says, For by a single offering, He, being Jesus, has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Believers are made perfect, meaning they are given full access to God through the sacrificial work of Christ, who again offered himself as the perfect sacrifice. Speaking of the lie, E. W. Pink said this, he said, quote, many things made by God, such as chrysalis for the butterfly, serve a temporary purpose and then become useless when, they are a more, when a more perfect stage of development is reached. The law has now become useless. It cannot save. It could never do that. It could only point out sin. It pointed that we were needed a Savior. It brought awareness of our sin. And if I know I'm a sinner, I know I need a Savior. If I know I've sinned against a holy God, I know that I am in need of forgiveness. And so the Apostle Paul will argue in Romans chapter 7 and verses 7 and 8 and says, What then shall we say? That the law is sin? By no means. Yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. For I would have not known what it is to covet if the law had not said you shall not covet. But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. For apart from the law, sin lies dead. The law shows us how we have fallen short of the glory of God. The law also shows us that there is a demand for blood sacrifice, that sin necessitated the shedding of blood. The whole sacrificial system provided a type of Christ so that John the Baptist would cry out as Jesus passed by, Behold, the Lamb of God. And in that case, the law was an excellent institution. But to his Jewish audience, the writer of Hebrews is communicating that there is a change in the law. He's clearly conveying that Judaism is now obsolete. There's nothing to turn back to. He's encouraging them to stay the course. He's saying all those Old Testament priests they pointed forward to the superior priesthood of Jesus. And he continues here in Hebrews chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. And he says, For the one of whom these things are spoken belong to another tribe, he's speaking of Jesus, which no one has ever served at the altar. For it is evident that our Lord was descended from Judah, and in connection with that tribe, Moses said nothing about priests. You know, to the to the Jewish mind, to the to the recipients of this letter, to suggest that a priest would come from another tribe other than Levi was preposterous. It was unimaginable. But this is exactly what the writer of Hebrews is doing. He's not merely suggesting it, he is proving it. You know, it was clear by the law of Moses that the priesthood was restricted to only those of the house of Aaron. According to Moses, a priest in Israel had to be a descendant from the tribe of Levi. And within that tribe, he had to be from the family of Aaron. And Jesus is neither from the tribe of Levi nor the family of Aaron. He was from the royal tribe of Judah. Not a priestly tribe of Levi. The author here is proving his point, that there has been a change in the priesthood of Christ. It is different from what was first established under Moses. The author here is saying, look to David. David lived under the old covenant. He lived under the law and under the Levitical priesthood. And David spoke about a new order of priests, When he wrote, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. When he wrote this, it was long before Christ came. And it was then that a word came from God that the order that they had was temporary, that it was insufficient, that it was imperfect. But it all pointed to the perfect where our author gets us in these last verses in this argument in verses 15 through 19, looking at the perfect. Look at your Bibles with me in Hebrews, starting in verse 15, going through verse 17. Here comes the transition. He says, this becomes even more evident when another priest arises in the likeness of Melchizedek, who has become a priest not on the basis of a legal requirement concerning bodily descent, but by the power of an indestructible life. For it is witnessed of him, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Here the author is making the point once again that if the law of Moses was still in effect, then Jesus cannot be a priest because he descended from the tribe of Judah. He doesn't meet the legal requirements based upon whom he has descended from bodily. He doesn't meet the requirements, the physical requirements of the Old Testament law. But the author makes a better argument. He said he meets far superior standards. He is in the likeness of Melchizedek. He is greater than the Levitical priest. You know, those who are born from the house of Aaron are born and then they die. But the divine eternity of the Son contrasts him with the Levitical priests. Jesus has always been. He has no beginning and he has no end. He is the eternal Son of God, the Father. He is the Alpha and the Omega. He is the first and the last. He is the eternal one, the immortal one. He is the one who has made everything and apart from him nothing was brought into being. He is the one who lived a sinless life, though tempted in all things as we are. He is the one who willingly gave his life as a perfect sacrifice to satisfy God as a propitiation for our sins. He is the one who has absorbed God's wrath through his bloody death On the cross. He is the one who was buried and three days later was raised by the glory of the Father, who then ascended to the right hand of the Father, where he serves forever his people as their great high priest. This is the one of whom the writer of Hebrews describes as having an indestructible life. This adjective here, indescribable, is found only here in the Greek New Testament. And in the Greek, it's placed at the end of the clause. In the Greek, you would say, according to the power of life, indestructible. This is why David declared he is a priest forever. Even when he took on flesh, death could not hold him. Because he is the eternal one. In his humanity, he experienced all that is common to man. Everything, even death. But due to the nature of his indestructible life, he was able to declare in John chapter 10, verses 17 through 18, he said, for this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. How could he say that? Because of his indestructible life. And then by virtue of his indestructible life, he rose from the grave and now lives eternally as our priest. You know, it's unlike the external qualifications for the Levitical priesthood, Jesus' qualification was internal. So any candidate for the Levitical priest had to be a Levite, meaning that his mother had to be an Israelite and his father had to be a priest before him. He also could not have any physical defects. There were over 140 physical blemishes that could disqualify him from service. But all of his qualifications were all external. But the better priesthood, the one occupied by Jesus, has a greater qualification. It doesn't hinge on external factors that qualified the Levitical priests. Instead, it hinges solely on one internal factor, one majestic factor, the power of an indestructible life. Andrew Murray says here, he says, quote, "'When God speaks to his Son, thou art priest forever. It not only means that the priesthood will never cease,' But it points to what is the root and cause of this. It roots in the life and strength of God, end quote. You know, it's no surprise then because of this that Jesus would say, For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself, John 5, 26. And then he goes on in John 10 and says, I came that they may have life and life abundantly. Jesus' death on the cross fulfilled the intent of the old priesthood by accomplishing the full atonement that it anticipated. His blood cleanses our sins, and we are clothed in His righteousness. It is through Him that we have everlasting life. This is an amazing Priesthood. It has been rightly said that the contrast between Aaron and Christ is that of a mortal man and that of the king eternal, immortal, invisible. The author then brings this argument to a head as he points to the better hope in verses 18 and 19. Look with me at your Bibles, verses 18 and 19. For on the one hand, a former commandment, is set aside because of its weakness and uselessness. For the law made nothing perfect, but on the other hand, a better hope is introduced, through which we draw near to God. Here the author summarizes the point that God has replaced the old system, the former commandment. And he's replaced it with the better, a new system that can do what the old one could not do. Which is draw us near to God. You know, the goal of every priesthood was to draw people to God, but the old covenant could not do this. This was its weakness and why it demanded that a new covenant would come. You know, as we reflect on the system of the law, nothing in the priesthood could bring people into the presence of God. As a matter of fact, everything in the law prohibited people from coming anywhere near the Holy of Holies, where the presence of God dwelled. But here a better hope is introduced. And this better hope is introduced through Christ. The author enjoys employing this word better in this letter of Hebrews. We read in chapter 6 of better things. Here in chapter 7, we read of a better hope. Later in chapter 7, we read of a better covenant. In chapter 8, we read of better promises. In chapter 9, better sacrifices. Chapter 10, a better possession. Chapter 11, better country and a better life. In chapter 12, a better word. So why? What's the author's point? His point is that it is unthinkable to forsake what is better and cling to the law and the Levitical priesthood. And so looking again at Hebrews 7, verse 19, we read specifically about a better hope. It is through the introduction of this better hope that believers can now draw near to God. What only the high priest could do once a year under the old covenant all believers can now do every day. You know, every one of us, the scripture says, used to be darkened in our understanding that we were alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that was in us due to our hardness of heart. Our sin separated us from a holy God. And because of that, we could not draw near to him. But we read in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 13, But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Amen, Amen, indeed. Hallelujah. Later on in Ephesians 2, verse 18, Paul continues, says, For through him we have both access in one spirit to the Father. Now for some of us, we've become so... I don't know what the word would be, so accustomed to this, so take it for granted that, oh, we're, we can approach God. That was unthinkable under the old system. And yet we're told that we can come boldly to his throne of grace? We often don't think about what a privilege that we have because of Christ's priesthood. The author of Hebrews is writing to those who came out of Judaism. They understood that old sacrificial system. And he's telling them, look at how much better this one is. Later on in Hebrews chapter 10, in verses 19 through 20, You know, it is through Christ that everything that once was kept at a distance from God, it's all that's kept us from a distance has all been removed. Do you know as sinners, those who are unrighteous coming into the presence of God, what the judgment is? Death. Must be holy. You must be righteous to be in his presence. And now because of Christ's priesthood, all of his people are viewed that way. They are seen as righteous and holy. And I know you don't always feel that way. But praise God, it's not dependent upon your feelings. But it's dependent upon his word. That he has said it. And because he has said it, it is so. It is Jesus who brings this better hope. He brings access to God because he is a better hope. It reminds us what the author has already said back at the end of chapter 6. In verses 19 and 20, recall when he said, We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain, where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. It is through this better hope, through Jesus Christ, that we can now draw near to God, beloved, that is such a privilege, that we can come to a holy God because of what his son Christ has done on our behalf. It is through Christ's atoning sacrifice that the barriers of sin have been removed. And now we all have full access to his presence. That is something that the the law and the Levitical priesthood could never accomplish. And This is why the author of Hebrews already told us in chapter 4, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find help or find grace to help in time of need. All this is possible because of our great high priest, Jesus. There's such a glorious difference between the old covenant and the new. The old covenant worked externally by the law, and therefore it was impossible for people to be empowered to fulfill it for the requirements, the perfect righteousness that was Necessary on their part. They could not do it. But with the new covenant comes the miracle of regeneration. God gives new hearts to make up new people eager to do his will. This was never offered under the old covenant. But it was promised by God to take place under the new covenant and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Praise be to our great high priest, Jesus. Ezekiel would also say in Ezekiel chapter 36, verses 26 and 27, we read, and I will give you, A new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statues and be careful to obey my rules. It is the living spirit of God that renews us, that restores us, that leads us, and that empowers us in the newness of life. Our high priest is exalted in heaven with the power to transform us. You ever think like, why me? Why would he choose me before the foundations of the world? I am such a sinner. But we know it's to the praise of his glorious grace. And not only does he choose us, but he delights in transforming us. But that transformation does not come from an outward performance that's undertaken in our own strength. Our transformation takes place as we draw near to God. It is through his power, it is through his presence in our life that we can live in a manner that brings him glory. Now, if you're here this morning and you are simply trying to follow a system of rules, rules that you think will somehow please God, you've got the wrong system. Jesus said, repent and believe the gospel. You are a sinner and you are in need of a savior. It is your sins that have separated you from God. But Christ has offered himself as the perfect sacrifice to reconcile you back to God. So what are you waiting for? If you have not come to Christ, come now. He stands as your priest to intercede for you, to apply his righteousness to you, to remove all the guilt and the stain from your sins, that you might stand as the righteousness of God. And to all of us who, by God's grace, have humbly come to Christ, have yielded to Him as Lord and Savior, we've got to be so careful not to count the blessing of drawing near as something that is common. Which so means we're not to forsake the opportunity to commune with God regularly, that we're to come to his throne of grace. We're to come bringing praises to him. We're to come to bring confession to him. We're to come to ask him for help and living a life that is pleasing and fruitful to him. It is because of Christ that we have a better hope, we have access to God. Before I close this morning, let's go ahead and bow our heads and let's consider all the Lord has taught us this morning from his word. And then I will close this in prayer. Father, as we close our time in your word this morning, we thank you for your grace towards us. Oh God, we thank you for sending your son on our behalf. We praise you for his priestly work, which grants to us a better hope, which is access to you. God, we ask that you would help us. Help us from trusting in anything other than your son, Jesus. Help us not to take this treasure for granted. Forgive us for how quickly our minds turn to worthless things. Oh, God, focus our attention back upon your son. Thank you for your abundance of grace and mercy to us. And, Father, we pray for anyone in this place this morning that your spirit is drawing. Father, they would know Christ and that their life would be transformed, that there would be newness of life given, a new heart with new desires, Desires that long to live for you. That you would do this for your great namesake and for their good. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.